This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Using Rocket Pro TPO is like managing a team of all-stars. Our powerhouse squad of purchase underwriters complete document reviews and initial underwrites in just one day. With our industry-leading mortgage insurance and with a wide variety of products to use, your mortgage game will have zero weaknesses helping you and your clients win more closings against today's tough competition. Rocket Pro TPO compete at the highest level. Call for cost information and conditions, equal housing lender, license in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. You're listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need to advance your mortgage practice quickly and efficiently from Gen Duplessis. America's Mortgage Mastery Mentor with over 37 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings. Jen has been mentoring loan officers and realtors for over 15 years and speaking on stages across the globe. So settle in and get ready as Jen and her guests share their experience, passion, and strategies to help you crack the top producer code to reach new heights in your business. And now, here's your host, Jen Duplessis. Mortgage Mastery Mentor and Head Chick in Charge of Kinetic Spark Consulting. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this episode. I am so excited. You know, once in a while, I have a really, really fun guest that I just can't wait to interview, you know, waiting with sort of with bated breath to have this conversation. And today's guest is exactly that person, Shashank Shikar. And I, I'll tell you, Shashank, you have such a beautiful history, you know, with your business and you have such, you know, such a, an inspiring story. And you and I are going to have to talk in the green room afterwards, because I may have you as a guest on, on my new TV show, but I want to talk to you a little bit deeper about that. But before we get started, let me take this opportunity to introduce you. And I cannot, you know, read everything about you, but just safe to say that, you know, you're in the top five loan officers in the country. Maybe, and you'll correct me on all these numbers later. Top five loan officers in the country. You've been in the business since 2008, which is just incredible coming into the business at a time that was so difficult for most people when they were exiting and how you've expanded and exploded in what are we 10, 11, 12 years, right? Into this business. So I can't wait to talk to you about that. I know your company has been named in the Inc. 500. That's a super pop. My son was named in Inc. 500. So I know the work oh, that goes on behind cool. that. Behind <laughs> that. Good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As what's important, you are a number one best-selling author. You have been featured in lots and lots of magazines and of course been on, uh, you know, lots of shows. And, you know, the one thing that I had been in the top 40, under 40, top 200 loan officers in the country. You know, just really excited to have this opportunity to talk to you about it, about your business. But one of the things that I know that is so important to you, and this is where we're going to start, is that you're about customer service and education, not about doing loans. And there are so many loan officers that are in the business to do deals, to do loans. And we forget that we are in an industry that serves people first and loans just have to be the mechanism 
And there's not an industry that I know of that focuses so much on the widget, the widget that they're using. So I really want to talk about all of that stuff. So let me get started with this. We know you were in the industry in 2008 and you've come up through the ranks, you know, to be this powerful originator. What was your tipping point? You know, you had those months where you were closing two, four, four, five, five, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden there was a tipping point where, oh my gosh, this is going to be huge. I don't imagine that this was a progressive move for you going from five to, you know, five to seven to maybe 10 to 12. And then now I'm doing 18. It was probably, you know, propelled. What was the tipping point for you? When was it? And what was it? Yeah. And then first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I know I talk a lot. I I had a lot to say there. It's it's an honor. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for the introduction. I first year I was in the business. I mean, some of the people in the audience may know my story, but 2008 wasn't just one of the hardest, the hardest year for financial markets across the globe. But also for me personally, I was new to the country. I was 18 months in the country, $1,900 in savings. And really a small kid. I had, I mean, my daughter was what, not even one year old at that point of time. So, and getting into the business in a year like 2008, when no one was buying or refinancing. So it was a really stupid move looking, looking back at it, but, but something I, of course, don't why'd you do it? Let me interrupt you and say, why'd you do it? What was sure? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I I went to um, business school in India. And one of the things that I always told my friend is that I'm at the business school just because I want to start my business one day. I want to be an entrepreneur. And my corporate career was going really well. In fact, the company that I was transferred from, from India, was I was the head of business for them here in Silicon Valley, where I am right now. And they were in the financial services business. And that's when the 2008 crash hit. We were VC-funded company back mm-hmm. then. So it was a fairly well-funded with founders who had sold the companies before. So fairly well-backed, all of that stuff. But we all know what happened in 2008 yeah. and how it yeah. impacted pretty much every company across the globe. And that's where the, the business shut down. And they had a small play in the mortgage space back then. And so I knew a little bit about mortgages. In fact, I'd even gotten my license, a DRE license in California. So when they shut down, I was like, okay, the only thing that I know a little bit about in this country is mortgages. I have my license. And, and well. at that point of time, I thought, oh, I have an MBA. I understand how marketing works and all of that. And this was, this should be something I should be able to handle. Plus, I always wanted to start my own business. And I thought if I did not do this now, if I went back to corporate America, I don't think I'll ever have the guts with my kids being older, the obligations being more, maybe a house by then. So I have a mortgage to pay all of that stuff. I'll probably never be able to quit my corporate career and actually yeah. start a business. So I saw it as kind of a kind of an opportunity. I saw it something that that I could I could look into. And then 65% of people were leaving the industry back then. I thought okay, maybe short run, I'll struggle. But if I do well, this is a great opportunity to take some market share in the local local market where I was in. So it was a little bit of craziness. I mean, I, there, but there was a method to, to the madness, so to say. And I mean, I'm from where I come from. I mean, I have thrived in chaos all my life. I mean, so it was like, okay, let's give it one more shot. Worst case, you can always go back and, and find, find yourself a job. And so, so that's fine. So that's how I got into it. But I quickly realized that all the degree and then being head of business and all of that meant nothing in the mortgage business when you start from scratch is because I knew no one there. I was new to the country, knew three people in the entire country back then. And those three people were ex-co-workers from the company that just shut down. So literally, I mean, I knew no one where I can go and say, hey, Jen, can you give me some business? I just got into this mortgage business. So I had 
no college friends to go to or high school friends or neighbors or whatever, so or relatives. And so in the first 12 months, I did seven loans. You were saying three, four, five loans a month, right? <laughs> yeah, seven in the whole year. <laughs> half a loan a month. So it wasn't it wasn't that. But yeah. you're right about tipping point. It did for first two, three years, there was a slow progression. It went from half a loan to about two loans to about three loans a month. And then I was doing a ton of things during those three, four years, uh, Jen. And I think it was the fourth year when I could see that everything that I have been doing so far suddenly started and converged into one point where I suddenly shot up that year in terms of, you use the word exploded. And that's what I could see suddenly now I'm doing 10, 12, 15 deals a month. At the end of the year, that was the first year, my fifth year in the business, I think fourth or fifth year that I made the top 200 originator list on Scotsman Guide. And that was fairly quick for someone like me who really had no connections, no capital to start with. But the tipping point for me, it was I had started blogging, for example, in 2009. I had started database management. Some people talk about the fact that you can only do database management when you have a big database. The first seven people that I closed in the very first year, each one of them are worth, each one of them is worth probably over a quarter million dollars yeah. for me by yeah. now because yeah. they referred someone who referred someone who referred someone. So mm-hmm. yeah. I was doing database management from the very first loan I did. I had an Excel sheet. Of course, I did not have a fancy CRM or something, right. <laughs> but I did that. I mean, yeah. that's why you talked about tools and that's true is for a very long period of time, I ran the business on Excel and Google Sheets. I mean, the year, I remember 2016, I think I did $180 million uh, that year. My entire pipeline was still on Google Sheets back then. It was easy to share with my processor and everyone. So tools are important, but messaging is way more important. What you do is way more important. And that's what I think is is that the tipping point came in that fourth year when everything that I was doing kind of all converged into one big space. Okay. So I know lots of loan officers that have been in the business for four years or five, and they haven't achieved their tipping point. So- what is it that you did that was, and I'm sure there were some things, well, maybe not because you only know a handful of people. So maybe you did it your way, right? Yes, you did it your way. Mm-hmm. Maybe that that is some of the issue that, that others have is this copycat syndrome, right? Where I'm going to do what they did because that's what I should do because someone told me I should do that. And, you know, I can tell you that in my practice, you know, and I was in the top 200 too, you know, my practice, I did it my way. And I was authentically me. I was different than others and, you know, went counterintuitive to a lot of people and didn't succumb to uh, the shiny object syndrome. So was there a period of time when you first started that you did what everybody else did because you probably looked online and they, oh, they're doing that. I should do that. And then if you did, what were those? But then if you didn't, what did you do that was so different that your gift the gift that you have that is so simple to you, everyone else is just struggling and praying for and wishing for all day long. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And one that I don't think I've, I've ever been asked in, in dozens of interviews I've done, but but very, very critical because you're right. I mean, you have people who start with in a much better scenario than I did, right? I mean, hopefully a lot of people went to college here or went to school here or they have neighbors or friends or relatives so you start with that. And maybe they had more than $1,900 that I had when I started the business. So they probably had more of an advantage going in the business. But you're right. One of the things that 
most loan officers, and just like you, I mean, I speak all over the country, so I get to interact with thousands of people, not just four or five years, Jen. I mean, as you know, you could you would come across people years 20, and only 25 do, years, yeah, and, and they only still do can't consistently close three, four loans a month. Yeah. And they still struggle to do that. Yeah. Is because you're right. I mean, it's it's great to experiment because I mean it's again, it's you are a business owner and you have to experiment with different ideas. But at the at the end of the day, you have to figure out what works for you. In my case, First 12, 18 months, really, I was just copying everybody else. And I saw people, or they go to a realtor networking event, and then they kind of ask for business. I said, mm-hmm. okay, that's probably the way to get business because yeah. I had no way to get, I had yeah. no way of knowing how to get clients. So I would go right. there and then I would look like a fool. I'm handing out your business card. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, so you're new to the business. I mean, there are 20 other loan officers who run the queue before you, most likely. You really don't have a value proposition where you're saying, okay, I could do this better than somebody else. And then after about 12 months of struggling and doing seven loans in, in those 12 months, I realized that I had to reboot, mm-hmm. either do it very differently than any other loan officer in the country back then, or just quit and do something where I can, I can make my six figures, which I was doing as, as an employee somewhere else. And that's when I kind of went back to basics of marketing, which is where are your consumers? And your consumers at that point of time in, in 2009 is that I was seeing, and I was, in, I was in Silicon Valley, and I was seeing more and more people just like me uh, were going to the web to consume, consume more information. They were reading blogs. There were videos were probably not that big back then, but blogs were. And I saw that the lot of people, again, in, in Silicon Valley were, were immigrants. People were buying their first home here in the country. They were on work visas, working for big tech companies back then. And I saw a right fit between the fact that where are they consuming information and what kind of audience it is. And that's marketing one-on-one is that you have to see what kind of customers you want to work with. You hope you have to specialize in that, that kind of customer. Mm-hmm. And then you have to figure out where are they getting their information from. So, I mean, you don't have to be like one of the things that a lot of marketers talk about is social media all the time, right? But you could be in a small little place, a rural marketplace, I don't know, in Alabama somewhere, and people read local newspaper all the time. If that's the case, then you could be on Facebook all day long and nobody's listening to you. So understanding the medium and the message, both of that is important. If you have got the great message, but you are on the wrong platform, or if you are on the great platform with the wrong message, then either of, of that is not going to work. So I studied that and I realized that, okay, blogging is my way to go, and I'm going to focus on first time home buyers. I specialize in first-time homebuyers so much is that even real estate agents who would otherwise not refer me deals, if they got a first-time homebuyer, they would say, send it to Shashank. He understands how to do first-time homebuyer deals. Right. And blogging was hard. I mean, I it's not as if I have, a, I have a writing degree or I had done writing in the past or something. In fact, so some of the first uh, few blog posts were so cringy even now to read, but I have still kept it there on my blog, just to go back and see how bad it was. Also for other people to see that how bad of a writer I was to begin with. Well, that's vulnerability and that's attractive, right? So you don't have to cheat. You can attract that. Yeah. And I I totally get that. And so for six months, I wrote a blog post every single week, two blog posts a week for six months. And then I got my first call. Somebody really called and said, Hey, I read your blog post online. And, And so you can see that any major thing that that requires time to get traction. If you're doing minor thing here and there that will have no long-term viability for your business, you can get results tomorrow. You can buy leads and call them and probably you'll close one out of 100. That does not have a long-term viability for your business. That's not a long-term plan that you can work on. But anything that that can propel your business to a very different level and keep it at that level, if not growing for a very long period of time, will require work yeah. and will require a long 
commitment. And that's what I did with, thankfully, I did that with, with blogging. And then, I mean, after that, I mean, I got called from Yahoo News because they were covering something from then from other editor. You talked about the fact that now I get featured on pretty much every major media there is, uh, Washington Post, Bankrate, Inc., Forbes. I mean, really, I mean, any media that you can think of, I get quoted on it, but that's not did not happen yesterday. I mean, that happened me starting blogging for six months with yeah. really nobody calling me. So it takes a lot of work. And also it's like understanding where your audience is, what kind of message are they looking for? What kind of niche you can get into? Again, we try to be generalistic. The, the newer the loan officer you are, you try to be more general because you're like, I, I want, want all points of business. <laughs> I want refinance business. I want an investor. I want non-QM. I want this. I want that. Is because you don't have business. You'll be surprised if you actually went the other way. If yeah. you be a little bit of counterintuitive, right? You're saying, I specialize only in this, that you will get. And then you can expand once you have, you have built your market share in that specific niche. And that's what I did for the first three, four years. I was just known in the local market as the first time homebuyer specialist. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I want to piggyback on a couple of things that you said here. So, you know, niching is super important. I mean, I know that, you know, I've interviewed many, many people that are in the top, you know, 200 loan officers, 100 loan officers in the country. I myself did the same thing. You know, niching is powerful. I see niching as the long game and the experimentation to, you know, not use shiny object, right? But the experimentation is what you can do as you're trying to get the business in the front game, you know, now, and I say long game, not that it takes a marathon to get it, but that it is the long game that will keep the sustainability so that when refi boom goes away, you're still that expert, Yep, you're yep. still that expert in that world. And I think that people are really afraid to niche. They're afraid they're going to miss an opportunity, but you're missing a ton of opportunities anyway, with, with the generalization that you're speaking about. So so let's talk about, you know, so I know that first time home buyer, and I knew this, you know, doing some research on you, first time home buyers was, is, and it's still about what you, you blog about, yes. but one, and this is one of the questions I want to ask you is this just constant, this insatiable appetite for social media. Uh, and I'm a baby boomer. So people are going to think that I'm not into social media, but I am. My husband calls me, Hey, millennial, come here. Do this, right. Cause I'm always odd, but yes. But, you know, people that and, and this was my specific question I want to ask you is social media versus blogging or video vlogging, right? Video logging, vlogging versus relationships. There's a place for all of them, I yes. believe. But yes. where does the average loan officer go wrong in those arenas? Because I think they're trying to do social media. They're trying to do some video stuff, maybe, and they might consider it the same. They might try to do some relationships. They might try to do something else. Where do they go wrong in knowing the proper percentage? And I think this probably is going to go back to where their passion is, what they like. But tell me, where are they going wrong in your perspective? Yeah, I think I think they're going wrong in spreading themselves too thin. Is and and that's that comes from a position of a struggle. When you're yeah. struggling, you think you need to do everything, mm -hmm. and then you're not an expert at anything. Yeah. That's that's the same about when you talk about niching about which product, which demographic, which which audience to cater to. The same niching is also about marketing. Yeah, is that you need to specialize in something before you get before you expand your expand your reach, right? 
So if you think that you're really good with, say, text, I mean, I wasn't really good, but if you think you can get, be- get better at it, let's say blogging is your tool, right? You can be really good as, say, a podcaster. I mean, you're really good with audio platforms. You're really good with that. You think, okay, let's, let's work with podcasts. You think you're great on visually great. You, you were, you're somebody who looks great on camera. You can handle himself or herself. Video could be your platform. I wrote an article on housing buyer on how to pick the tool that works best for you. And in some case, you can get completely wrong. You probably thought podcast was your way. And then you ended up being a video person. But what I'm saying is that you can't be posting on Facebook and Twitter and, and LinkedIn and also creating one video content, say, every three months because now you don't have time because you're there and you're also driving relationship. Relationship is the key irrespective. That's not an or option, yeah. right? It's yeah. not, <laughs> I'll do Facebook or relationship. Yeah. Like relationship is database management, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, database management is not just about sending automated emails or automated phone calls. That's relationship management, right? What in tech term we call database management in our business, that's relationship management. Whether you manage relationship with real estate agents, manage relationship with your buyers, manage relationship with financial planners, manage relationship with CPO, that's given. That's, I mean, that's not an or option, right? So you have to do that. Then in terms of marketing, you have to figure out where you're good at, but don't spread yourself too thin. For me, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter for almost seven, eight years in the beginning, was all about just business. I mean, of course, I will throw in personal stuff because people people relate with you. But but it was with a goal that this is me- this is a business platform for me. So even personal stuff was meant to be for people to look at me who I'm a, I'm as a person that I'm an amiable person. I have kids and all that stuff. But the focus was very clear that that's what it is for. So if I'm writing a blog post, I'm posting on Facebook. I am amplifying my audience. Mm-hmm. I'm syndicating my blog into different platforms. But I think it's very important because people listen to different speakers. Like if you go to a conference, the problem is that you have 15 speakers who specialize in 15 different things. Mm -hmm. Now you come out of the event thinking all 15 things are important. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And you work on all 15 things because look, Jens, she did so very well doing this. And look at Shashank. I should do that. I should do this. I should do that because that's what's important. Thankfully, I never went into that rat race of saying that I'm good with everything. I knew I was an introvert to begin with. Networking was not my thing. And I figured that out very quickly. And that's what you should do it as well. I mean, by you, I mean, the the audience listening to this is that you should figure out where your strengths lie. You should figure out where your audience is and whatever in in the Venn diagram that we used to do, there's a a common sphere that comes in between where what's the common point? And that's what you focus on. You spread yourself too thin, you will never be considered an expert at anything at all. You'll never be attract any kind of audience and influence. So work on one thing, get really good at it, increase your influence, and then get to the second thing once you get comfortable. There's nothing wrong in expanding your reach or your tool or your message, but start start with one thing first. You know, I always say master what's in front of you first before you start looking away, you know, yes. and, and if it doesn't, if it's not a good fit, then and you experimented, that's fine. But you can't master it just because, you know, you did it or I did, you know, I, I'm strong on relationships. Everything for me was relationship. I didn't do blogs, right? I had a podcast, but I didn't consider that to be, I mean, that was just a vehicle to answer questions to people because I didn't have enough time to answer questions. <laughs> that was sort of yeah. One of the things uh, that then you will hear all the time is that hey, what's what's your number one tip for getting more clients, right? Yeah. Uh, do you go to social media? Do you do videos? Do you do blogs? Do this, et cetera. Yeah. And my first question always is that 
What are you doing with the people you have done business with in the past? Good. I'm glad you're asking. Yes. <laughs> I know. I'm glad you're asking because I was going to ask you this. I was going to talk okay. to you about this because cool. I want to go back into nurturing a little bit because, yes. you know, I call it, I always say, are you nurturing or neglecting yes. your community? Now I call it a community, right? Because yes. I don't look at it as a bunch of numbers and it's a database or, you know, a CRM or whatever. For me, it's my community. It is the bread and butter of my business. And, you know, really where I got a lion's share of my business, like you were saying that you used in the beginning, I call it the Heisman trophy method, which is I'm just sending them stuff and I don't really talk to them. I, you know, so for those of you that are not watching the video, I'm, I'm acting like the Heisman trophy. I'm kind of pushing things away from myself. I'm saying, I send stuff to them, but that's not engagement. That's just sending stuff to them. And that's fine, but you have to follow up with engagement. So here's where I want to go with that, because I know that this has to do with, I'm really big on high conversion ratios as well. And a lot of times people have their uh, binoculars on, they're constantly looking for new, 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 new. And that's fine when you're ready to expand. But what about the acres of diamonds that are under your feet, right? These uh -huh. loans have fallen from heaven like stars over yep. the last year. And now there are acres and acres of diamonds underneath you. And we're walking and cracking and crunching them rather than picking them up and, and say, oh my gosh, look how beautiful this is. So take us back to, and then also talk now, but take us back to those days when you did seven whole loans mm -hmm. and you manifested more loans from those seven because- yes. There are a lot of loan officers who've not contacted their past clients that they close. Well, I call them alumni client, but they don't contact their alumni because alumni come back, right? Yes. And they donate yeah. <laughs> money yeah. to us, right? Yeah. So um, they don't contact their alumni clients, even the ones that closed a month ago because they don't know what to say. And certainly they haven't contacted them for seven years because they're afraid, oh God, they're not going to remember me. I don't know what to say. I'm going to sound salesy. And I've always felt like we're in a service industry. It's a service call, not a sales call. How dare you not call them and provide them with your expertise to make their life better? But I want your take on what do you do when you make the call? Oh, yeah. Great question. And perfect segue to what, what we were just talking about before is, first of all, I mean, the learning from what you just said is that that's a must. I mean, even if you just did that, really, if you never went on social media ever, never created one video ever, never wrote one blog ever, if you just did that one piece, because that's something which, which I uh, consider completely non-negotiable, you will still be, you will never be a, in a position where you can, you will say that I can't even close three, four loans consistent, consistently. Mm -hmm. If you have been in the business three, four years, that's enough database to live a life of a decent lifestyle for the rest of your life even if you didn't do anything at all. Mm -hmm. So in terms of option, first figure out that that's understand, not, not figure out, understand that that's given, that that's something that you absolutely need to work on. Now, in terms of how you need to work on the database could be very different. Jen worked on it probably differently than, than I worked on it. But I have, the in, at the very earliest stage, I used to do uh, a five-year touch campaign. Mm -hmm. with, uh, I used to a CRM called uh, Surefire, where right. there were sixty point of sixty touches that they would do every right. every five uh, over a five over year five years, uh, yeah. But I used to throw in a lot of education in between. My education, anytime I would write a blog post, I would send it to my entire email list, which at one point of time was only seven people. Which of <laughs> course it grew from there. 
But every time I would write write something, I mean, for me in the beginning, in fact, content creation wasn't so much about attracting new business from Google or somewhere else. It was about serving the current database that I have. Mm -hmm. So for me in the beginning, it was about whatever I'm writing in terms of content, let me send it to my own database. They should see that one, I'm an expert at this, at, at, at talking about this. Two, they should see that he is constantly in this business of educating us. And you you spoke about this in the beginning, but I mean, my business was built on the fundamentals that we are in the customer service and education business. We just happen to do mortgages because yeah. mortgage is just a tool for that. And so for me, my and then we always had, I mean, I always had a six monthly check-in and a 12 monthly check-in. So we always had after six months, hey, because the EPO gets over at six months. That's when like, okay, yeah. you're engaging in a, yeah. in a conversation saying, hey, what's your interest rate looks like? What's the future yeah. looks like? You do that again at a 12-month mark and again at six. So you keep repeating it every six months, so to say. That's a conversation that you have. So the for me, the best part was so automating a part of it and then personally being involved with, say, sending birthday messages, even though, I mean, top the card's mind, going out, but it's yeah, just the card is going out. a little text or to yes. do a video. Yeah. yeah on top yes. of it. Yeah. The, I, uh, yeah. I was so big on videos, but text or calls is something yeah. that you can do. But I think for my clients, what they found the most useful was the six month and the 12 month call is because that's when I was helping out do something that they did not even think. Sometimes I will bring their 30 to 15, saving them $100,000 in interest over the life of the loan or would say, hey, you have saved so much. I mean, are you thinking of investing? You can get in with 20, 25% down, maybe not in the Bay Area, maybe in Dallas or somewhere else where the home prices are low. So I was coming in from more a financial advisor, financial planner, kind kind of even tax planner, so to say. Yeah. Um, I was doing the closing keynote originator uh, connect two weeks back, and I was that's there too. Yeah, I was. <laughs> you, I missed you there, but yeah. I was saying a, lo- a good loan officer really is accountant and a financial planner, and uh, of course, I mean you An have emotional to be, psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah I've had a psychiatrist right. thrown in there. I mean, there <laughs> is so much if you because the clients look for you for all of that stuff. I mean, yeah. if you're a real estate agent, you can probably get away with understanding the neighborhood and understanding the markets, and that's all there is. But if you're a loan officer, you're planning for two hundred to I don't know two million dollar loan amount for someone then you need to come up with all of that. And thankfully, they could see that I had all of that interest in mind and I could yeah. advise them on all of that stuff. But that's the best way. I mean, I uh, yeah. again, everybody else is uh, find their own best way, but yeah. you have to automate a part of it. You cannot be in touch with them every single uh, week or every single month. Yeah. And then you have to be personally involved for the other half. Yeah, and I think some of those calls, just to be clear on this, because we, you know, people are listening and saying, okay, I'm going to call it six months because now they're taking notes, right? They're going, okay, I'm going to call it six months, I'm going to call it 12 and I'm going to refinance and I'm going to do this. And, you know, but that may not be the case. Sometimes it is simply that you're touching base with them and seeing how they're doing and you yes. let it go, yeah. you know? And yes, that's the case. And the reticular activator sets in and yeah. maybe you ask for a connection to something that isn't a referral or a connection to somebody else, you know, and, and you have to feel it out. Every single call is a little different. And I know that I've experienced, you know, do you have a script? Do you have a script when you call? And, you know, honestly, I really don't have a script when I call because it's coming from my heart. I've never had a script for any calls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same thing because, you know, I'm doing that service call, not the sales call. And if it finds its way into sales, then that's fantastic. And as a, you know, mortgage planner, certified mortgage planner, whatever word you want to use, mortgage advisor, whatever the case is, you're there to serve whatever their needs are. And so you can't go in with an agenda. 
No, even if you haven't called a client for seven, I mean, seven years or whatever, I would still not go, go in with an agenda or I still not script it out. I will simply say, I mean, I'm, maybe you have something that, that you want to use as, as an icebreaker to begin line. with. Yeah. yeah saying, hey, we, we just announced this or something. And, and, yeah, or and I'm sorry, I bet I'm you not didn't expect to hear from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something like that. But there's <laughs> right. no reason for you to script it out because I've seen yeah. so many scripts about clients you have not touched in the past, but I've never used a script for any of my calls yeah. because you're right. You need to be genuine. You need to be, I mean, I've talked about anything from where the kids are to, I mean, where are they heading to? Yeah. And they have talked about stuff like, hey, where do you think I should send my kids for school or college and things that and yeah, sometimes I need I a dentist. I'm not an expert at this. Right. <laughs> I need a dentist. Do you have yeah. a dentist, right? Because yeah. you become so, that resourceful person. Right. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. A beautiful thank you. And I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse on that because I mean, you know, we could have a whole podcast just yeah. about how to do that. I want to talk about a couple of other things in the few minutes that we have that we have left here. And that is, you know, what is surprising to you about loan officers. And for those that are listening, we're so, we're so sorry. We are here to help you. You know, this comes from my heart. I've been doing this for eight years. You know, it comes from my heart. But what is the most surprising thing? The thing that you're just like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. This most surprising thing that loan officers do that if you could just take them and show them that one thing, you know, they would be more successful. What's so surprising to you? It's like, I, I'm still surprised that loan officers, what? I mean, I think we talked a lot about some of the things which are which are given for you. And pretty much everything that we talked about are super simple to implement, right? We did not talk about anything that's that's extremely complicated. That's that's definitely not rocket science. But one of the things that I think is very important, and that's not a tool or a strategy or a technique, is is the mindset. Yeah. I think the the one of the biggest problems that happens almost from the day a loan officer enters the the industry is that we somehow we kept in the we came in the industry. Uh, I wasn't one of those, but we came because we saw a friend or a cousin or even a brother or somebody or a sister, somebody was making good money out of in, in this industry. Uh-huh. And we thought in our subconscious brain is that it's an easy industry to make money. Uh-huh. And we we came with that mindset. And that's probably the biggest mistake anyone does in this industry. It's an extremely competitive and an extremely hard industry to be in. Mm-hmm. If you get your fundamentals right, you will be in the top 1%, top 2%, and you will do very, very well. The rest of us' struggle is because we came in with that this mindset, and we stayed with this mindset that there has to be an easy way to do this. Yeah. Right? We can get away by doing easy things. We can get away by being distracted by shiny objects all the time. We can get away by giving two months into this technique and two months into that. And, and wait and we for can a get refi away, boom. Yeah, wait for a <laughs> refi boom because that happens every two to three yeah. years. I think my biggest thing is, and, and that's it's not an easy thing to work on, but I would say that anytime I get into a project that anything new that I'm working on, my, my first thing is conditioning my brain to saying that this is going to be very hard and you need to be prepared for it. Mm-hmm. You need to be disciplined about it. You need to be tenacious about it. You will have really rough and crappy days, but you need to wake up the next day and still, still handle it. For me, if I, there's one thing that I could change is not so much about teaching them tools and techniques and strategies and planning and all of that. So there is ample stuff out there to do all of that. Nice. And most of them probably already know all of that stuff. But one thing that I, I could, if I could change will be the mindset with which they approach all of this. Because for me, you talked about my tipping point and most of the tipping point wasn't about the strategies and tools. They were end 
to the beginning which I had, which was starting with the mindset, which I realized after first 12 months that, look, I'm, I'm new to this place. I don't have any money. I don't have any connections. I've done seven loans in the last 12 months. And it is a hard business and it will continue to be hard. I think that has, even after all these years, when I closed $360 million last year, I still approach every day with the fact that it's going to be hard, be prepared for it. And I think that's one thing that I'll change. Yeah. I really, really want to honor that mindset because as a coach, this is what I teach, you know, is mindset plus mechanics is where the magic begins. Mm-hmm. And, but it's the mindset mechanics. We all came into this industry. I came in knowing that rates were 18 and a half percent. And I wow. said, what's percent? <laughs> right. I mean, it was that bad because I came out. Yeah. I came in, I came in on, you know, Oh my gosh, I can tell you about that too. Yeah. I came in off of being an, you know, an engineering degree in architecture and, and I couldn't find a job. So I went to a job interview and so I didn't know anybody. Mine was just percent. I can, it was so funny because I struggled so hard with what is five eights. <laughs> what is seven eights? What is three eights? And I had this little cheat sheet. I remember I had it taped up, you know, and I typed it on a typewriter, you know, is 0.375 equals right? Three eights. And it, but you know, I was struggled with just the yeah. basics. I had studied in fractions. Uh, I studied in decimals all my life. So when I came here, I'm like, what is seven eight anyway? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Because you're in the whole metrics. So, and, and I never speak to my clients that way. I always speak in 0.375 terms because I don't, I don't want them to, you know, yeah. feel bad. But yeah, and that was a funny, and I haven't talked about that in a long time, but that was a funny little struggle. I remember that little sticky sitting, or it wasn't even yeah. sticky because we didn't have stickies back then. But, you know, I remember that that thing, but, you know, we all can learn the mechanics. The mechanics are inconsequential to the mindset of getting Absolutely. out there first. Then you need the mechanics. But I, you know, and I, I think they're both important. That's why I say this plus that is where the magic begins or the, where the momentum begins mm-hmm. is understanding that. And it's something, you know, that I spend an exorbitant amount of time teaching my, my students. And I do retreats that are all about mindset and breaking down barriers and, and really looking at yourself differently. So I think that that is so powerful. And I, I just want to recognize and honor that that you said that because most people just aren't going to see that. So I see that as what you're saying is the most important attribute is your mindset every single day. So I want to switch gears just a little bit. You know, we just finished this big refi boom and I shouldn't say finish it. You know, in my opinion, it's not finished, but that's because I'm a nurturer, right? So, you know, this big refi boom happened. Everybody had the biggest year they're ever going to, you know, they've ever had and the market handed it to them. It was by default, not by design. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to get people to the point of design. So let's talk about 2022, you know, your expansion, expansion for others. Obviously, they need to be looking at their database, right, into their community because there are people that still haven't refinanced. Thank God they called you if they did. Right? <laughs> Thank God they called you because you weren't calling them. Thank God they called you. But there are still people who have not refinanced. And there are even more people who refinance to have life events that you can create more refinance opportunities. So tell us what you're going to be doing in 2022 with your database and what else you think is on the horizon for the loan officers to be successful, to be able to stay in the business so we don't have a mass exodus in 2022. Sure, yeah. First of all, I mean, just just to kind of give a nod to what you earlier said is that I think we give ourselves too much credit when we have a good year like 2020. 
mean, if you, I haven't done a survey, but if you went around the town and, and surveyed every loan officer, yeah. I can tell you that almost 80, 90% will say that the best year was because of them. I mean, partly because of the market, but mostly because of them. When you get in a bad year, like I went in 2008, 2009, everybody was saying it's the economy, right? I mean, yeah, blaming everybody like, else. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I can't do anything. Nobody's buying or refinancing. What do you expect me to do? So that's the thing is that we give ourselves too much praise when things go right. And we give external factors too much blame when something goes wrong. So again, that's that's a mindset thing, right? Bingo. So yeah. yeah. So so that's the first thing is that don't get don't take too much credit for what happened in 2020. I mean, let's let's just go back to 2019 levels, take that as your benchmark and then plan for 2020. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Two is you're right. I mean, refinance boom is, uh, I mean, boom might be over, but there, there's tons, there are tons of refinances still there. One of the things that I talk about in, in, in database management or relationship management is that sell them something that they didn't think they wanted to be to be sold, mm-hmm. which means that I, if, if I'm a, a homeowner and I have, I don't know, 2.875 30-year fixed, I mean, if the rates go to 3.388 tomorrow, then I'll be like, okay, I have no refinance opportunity sitting right. here. Right. Is because I just do an apple to apple comparison. I'm here. The rates are here, which means there is no refinance opportunity. Right. That's where you come in. You sell them something that they didn't even think that they needed needed need to be sold. Is that you come in and say, hey, what? I mean, Mr. And Mrs. Homeowner, what did you think about say shortening the term? I mean, you're you have paid off so much of debt over the last 10, 15 years we have had relationship with. Your equity has gone up by 10 to 40 percent, depending on the market you're in. What did you think about? I mean, shortening the term to 20-year fixed, your payment wouldn't change too much. Your income has gone up all these years. And over a period we'll of time- We'll pay off the yeah. car for 700 a month in the Yeah, yeah pay off the car. And then with all the extra <laughs> equity, you yeah. can take cash out. So what I'm saying, people would have gone into, say, two years back when the home prices were whatever, and they got into an FHA loan or with a PMI. With yeah. the equity being so much higher across the country, now that gives an opportunity to move FHA to conventional or remove that PMI. That's so- only about 60% of the loans are refinanced with a rate reduction. The other 40% are different reasons, like arm to fix. Situational, life event. Yeah, yeah got a divorce, had a baby. Yeah, exactly. All of that stuff. All of it. And that's where relationship management comes in is because if you're just looking at the numbers on your Excel or CRM, it will you will not find those opportunities. But if you pick up the phone and talk to them, hey, how, how are you doing? They say, hey, by the way, this is what's happening. And that's where you come in. And if that does not happen, that's fine. You still build that that relationship much stronger now for your next call. And you to can ask, right. If, for the next call, it's easier to make. Yes. And you can ask for connections. You can get them off the hook if you don't want it. If you're not comfortable saying, by the way, do you, you know, who do you know? Yada, yada, yada. If you're yeah, uncomfortable. Exactly. You don't have, yeah. You don't have to do that all the time. Who do you, you know who's looking? That's yeah. so stupid. <laughs> that's right. so selfish. So maybe you say, hey, look, I'm, I'm looking to expand to work with more financial planners. Who might you know that you can convert, yeah. you know, or convert that you could connect me with? Those are opportunities too, because instead of going out and being an island and saying, I need to cold call all these people, let's start utilizing our, you know, our team. And because I consider them my team, I was going to say something to you that I thought was pretty interesting. It's amazing how as loan officers, we can't stand it when someone calls us and is comparing our rate, right? You know, we don't like the rate call yet. We do the same thing when we're looking at our database and we're looking at this rate versus that rate. Should I refinance? And we're doing the exact same thing that we don't like. 
Yeah. The exact right. same thing. Yeah. We're saying, hey, their rates, you know, their rates two and seven eighths, and today's market's three and an eight, so I won't call them. So, We're making yeah. that same judgment call. And it just dry, it absolutely drives me crazy. I used to have a technique I want to share. And I, I think I've shared it on this podcast, but you know, when people would call and say, Hey, what's your rate? What's your rate? And I say, Oh, you know, okay, so let me ask you some questions, obviously. But then I say, Has anyone talked to you about the super saver 25? And they're like, no, <laughs> everyone else is quoting 30, right? And I'm going, yeah, let me tell you about the Super Saver 25. It is simply a 25-year loan. It has the same exact rate for God's sake, but it's presenting something different, something that they didn't expect. And it's not enough to just present it, but to explain and why. And here's why. Here's why this might be better. Here's why you might want to refinance, take cash out and pay off this debt and go to a shorter term. And here's why. And I think that, you know, we're speaking from the same, you know, the same language about this. But so if you are a loan officer right now, because I and you are, I get it. But uh, (laughs) but I'm always a believer. This will be one of my last questions. I'm always a believer that your future is a series of nows. Yes. What you're doing right now, especially in this industry, will reveal itself in 90 days. So as we're heading, we're recording this in September, as we're heading into October, I've always ran my practice on from a marketing perspective on a fiscal year, not a calendar year. So my marketing starts in October so that by January, I'm already funding loans. Yeah. Not waiting till January. Oh, I should write that I want to make a hundred thousand on a piece of paper. Right. That's not a marketing plan or business plan. Right. So if you're a loan officer right now, we're speaking to loan officers that are, that are closing four or five loans a month in this context, right? Closing four to five loans a month. They've been in the business a year and they used to close 10 because they've got in really good time. They've been in for 20 years and they can't figure it out. What do they need to do right now as they finish this podcast? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that you can do, by the way, great point about planning at least 90 days in advance. I mean, we are not in credit card sales. We, we can't make plans now or get someone on the call tomorrow morning and sell something that quickly. Mortgages industry takes about 90 days of incubation for any plan to start showing results. In my case, it was six months for blogging. We talked about it. So at yeah. least 90 days, some of the plans could take a little longer than that. But really, the one of the things that you can do, it's actually... Last quarter is a great time to do educational events. It's because everyone is thinking about the next year already. One of the biggest ways that I built my business, one on the content creation side was blogging, but from the relationship side was that I started doing real estate agent events uh, in my local area. I would find two or three, four top producers. So really nothing that I was paying for speakers, like high-flying speakers, but local top producers. And it works to their ego is that if you ask them to talk to other real estate agents. So mm-hmm. I would call them and say, I'm doing an event and I would call them buyer bootcamp or a listing bootcamp, mm-hmm. depending on the market where you are. And right now, I think most real estate agents are probably looking for listing given the fact that this is right. a seller's market. Right. That's one event that you can do around business planning or around how to get more listing. And I can guarantee if you do it well, you will at least have 50 agents in the room, if not And then what you're doing is that you are doing that event saying how to make 2022 your best year, or how do you plan your business for 2020, how to get more listings in. And you have different speakers who are local top producers for different different categories there. And you get them there. And you can do it at a local place, wherever. I mean, you don't have to, again... Some neutral place, a title company, whatever. Title company, neutral place, whatever, community center, any... I've done that all kinds of places. Yeah, library. Yeah, I've done it. And this is the best time is because... 
May nobody is thinking about how what to do for next year. But but the moment we get into the yeah, the moment we get into the last quarter, somehow again, it's it's a subconscious thing. We already start thinking about the next year because you have Halloween and Thanksgiving and all of that stuff. We're already thinking about New Year's, and especially with business, we start thinking about it. So use that trigger that people already have in their brains right now and create an event around it. We already talked about a ton about how to do relationship management on the refinance side, where you can bring in so much more refinance next year. But from a purchase perspective, that's what I would do. If I was new to the business or even if 20 years in the business and I've not done that before and I've not done that consistently before, I did that for five years in a row. Every year I would do a listing bootcamp and a buyer's bootcamp. Listing bootcamp, buyer's bootcamp. It was with such regularity that after a point of time, real estate agents asking me, hey, when is the next one that you're doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, that the same thing about we talked about. Yeah, we talked about before. Attendance. That don't do one of everything. Don't yeah. do be on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and do a video and a blog and all of that stuff. Do more of one thing because yeah. then people start expecting that from you. So yeah. if you were to ask me to do one thing in the next three months, that's what I'll do. Yeah, I love it. I swear to God, as we're sitting here, I got two screens, right? You're on one screen. On the other screen is a PowerPoint presentation that one of my students just sent to me and said, because I said, you need to do an event. Let's pick a date. Let's do it, right? Because this is how I grew my business was doing events and classes and education. I was a roaming. And you educator. always start by picking a date. Yeah. You force said, yourself pick into your doing Pick your date. It. Pick your date. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And she called me yesterday and she said, I don't think, sorry, Shannon. Sorry if you're listening, <laughs> but she called me and she said, I think I have to move the date because I'm just not ready. And I go, okay, that's no, 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 no. We're going to do it. So she just sent me a PowerPoint and said, okay, go through it with me. Make sure it's okay. Are we ready to go? So, you know, I love that you're saying that because I literally have her PowerPoint sitting up in front of me, going through it, helping her okay. out. She's nervous mm-hmm. as all get out, but she's doing it. And she's going to see the results because she's taking the action. So that's what we want to talk about, right? Take the action that Shashank is sharing with you. He's sharing you God's tons of nuggets, tons of nuggets, but make sure they align with you. If you're not a blogger, don't blog. Exactly. You don't talk want to teach a class, all the time. don't teach a class, yeah. but you have to do something. You cannot continue to do what you're doing. Yeah. Most of the speakers will tell you whatever they are good at is the thing that you should be doing. I never make that mistake. I mean, something that that's good for me may not be good for you, but there are some fundamentals that will work. I can guarantee you for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's important. This, what you're receiving are all the ingredients. Now what you want to do is pick the ingredients you want to use to make your cake. Yep. You know, you may not want almonds. You may want something else. You it's the ingredients that you're, you're taking it's funny because I was at an event a couple of years ago. This reminds me of this. I was at an event a couple of years ago speaking. And before I went on, it was a NAMBA event and it was ah, okay. someplace. can't remember. I flew in and flew Atlanta. out. So I can't remember where Atlanta. I went. No, no, no. This was like their little. Oh, this was the local. local yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, yes, I was definitely course. in NAMBA in uh, Atlanta, yeah. but this was something else. I like flew in, flew out, changed my clothes in the bathroom. It was <laughs> Oh, and actually I ran into Sue Woodard. She was changing her clothes in the bathroom. Uh, okay. And, uh, but it was funny because they had this panel of realtors up there and they said, okay, the same old questions. And it was, you know, what is the best way to communicate with you? So one realtor says, this is almost like it's a joke, right? The first realtor says, don't ever call me, only text me. And I'm watching from the back of the room and loan officers are going, text, right? (laughs) They go to the next one and they go, if you text me, I'll never respond. The best way to reach me is phone. Phone. Right. And they're writing all this down and not so even funny. realizing yeah. that they just wrote down all of it. Yeah. You have exactly. to do all of it. 
<laughs> you have to do it's so funny. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's such a funny story to watch because I do remember just seeing their hands go down. It was it was quite funny. Shashank, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for letting me banter back and forth with you. I have oh, a just... day today too. And I want to highlight you. I want to honor you. I don't want to be the person who's injecting, but there's so many commonalities in what we're we're sharing here yes. that my yes. goal is for in every podcast is for for someone to leave here and take some action every time to take some kind of action, even if it's reflective action, uh, just to have that action. So as we leave here today, what one last piece of advice, quote, book, mantra, would you like to leave everyone with? One sentence that I've, I've lived my entire, at least my professional life with, which is information is overrated. Understanding is overrated. It's the action that gets you the results. So everything that we talked about today, at the end of the day, you have to execute. I have been an execution ninja all my life, even given the the circumstances that that I started the business with. And that's something that you really need to do. I mean, Jen, if you have someone like Jen as a coach, really, you have everything that you possibly need to to succeed in this business, but you you really need to execute on your own. I mean, she's not going to do do that event for you. Uh, that's something that, that you'll have to do on your yeah, own. Yeah, so. that's, you know, isn't that the funny thing is struggle mm-hmm. about about that is, you know, I wish I could do your work, but I can't. I can't. Yes, exactly, yeah. And it's funny that you said this about implementation. My my coach calls me the implementation ninja, yeah. not the execution ninja, but he calls See? me. He goes, we have the implementation ninja on the call. Right. Right? Even in today, I do that. And it's funny because my book launch, originally the name was going to be Stop Talking, Take Action, Get Results. And you do see a lot of that with me is just stop the yik-yakking, take yep. the action, and you're going to get the results. Absolutely. No more discussion. Dig in, get it done. And love what you have to say about information. So thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you. I Hopefully we won't be uh, two ships passing in the night. I was, <laughs> I was the very yeah. first session and you were the last session. So yeah. You know, hopefully we won't be ships passing in the night. I'll have the opportunity to see you another time. If not this year, next year out on the road. Congratulations for all your success. Congratulations for being humble as you are to share all of your gifts with everybody. They are priceless. And I hope that everyone who's listened has gotten something that is priceless out of this as well. So thank you so much thank for you. being with us thank today. You, Jen, for having yeah, me absolutely. Too. And everybody, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen in. And, you know, it is always my hope that you've gained some type of knowledge that will move the needle on your business, grow your business, grow your personal life. If that's what you're looking to do as well, we're just happy to be able to be here to serve you. And again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Be sure to subscribe to hear more sales tips, ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you with your personal and professional growth to multiply your results in record time. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Wanting more beyond the podcast? Join our Mortgage Lending Mastery membership community where you will find extended interviews with our favorite guests, weekly training, tips, and insider secrets fireside chats with Jen, free content, meet, share, and collaborate with other members, and so much more. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about this exclusive content. Mortgage Lending Mastery is an industry syndicate charter podcast. Industry Syndicate is the first podcast network specifically for the mortgage and real estate industries. Get the Industry Syndicate app in the App Store or Google Play today.